Good morning, everybody. It's really nice to be here and get to play right in front of you. This is,、uh, you know, students often ask me, Mrs. Atkinson, as the art teacher, what's your favorite medium?、Um, because we get to do lots of different things. We do mosaics, we do、um, pencil crayon, and you can see some of the pictures the kids drew. We do acrylic paint, we do、um, chalk pastel, oil pastel, pencil, charcoal, lots of different ways. But my favorite, I have to say, whenever I、uh, have kind of just a need to get and make something, get away and make something, is absolutely pottery. And、uh, So I'm really excited to get to share some of these things、um, with you this morning because there's actually pottery isn't just another art medium; it's actually a very biblical picture of who God is.、Um, did you know that God is a potter? It says so in the Bible. It's pretty exciting because I'm a potter too. <laughs> He's a little better. <laughs> so we've got a scripture. Up there, that tells us exactly what God says about Himself as a potter, and、uh, I just want to read that to you. <clears throat> so in Jeremiah, God Himself compares Himself to a potter. He says, "Go down to the potter's house." Now you have to know that in biblical times, pottery was a commonplace thing. Everybody had pottery, and so the things that、uh, were associated with pottery, like digging the clay, like there would be the potter's field, and there was an area where the potters lived. The Bible actually, there's a verse in the Bible that says that's the area where the potters lived, and I'm assuming it's because that's where the clay was to be found. Um, everybody was familiar with that, and so they knew they could go down to the potter's house because everybody knew where the potter lived. Because、um, it was very familiar, but to us, a lot of the richness of that metaphor is really lost. Because we think of pottery as an exclusive thing; it's an artsy thing. It's something that we get at the market, especially, and we pay a lot of money for it. And、uh, and so we've kind of lost touch with what is actually involved in the process of making pottery. That definitely was not lost on the audience to whom、uh, God was speaking about this metaphor. So He says, "Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message." So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working on the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, "Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does?" declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. In Isaiah 64,、uh, it's made even clearer. As Isaiah says, "We are the clay; God is the potter. We are the work of His hand." Now, with such a clear statement from the Lord about the similarity of the potter's relationship to the clay and God's relationship to us, no doubt it is wise for us to look. At this pottery process, a little bit more closely, so that we can more fully appreciate the richness of what God is saying here. So today, I'm going to take you through the pottery process from the clay, which is over here, all the way to the finished product, which is over here. Now, this 
there's a lot of parallels in pottery to the way that God works in us. And I'm hoping to share with you some of the insights that God has given me, even as I do pottery. It's like there's been so many light bulbs that have gone on for me as I do this um, that I, I love to share that because I think that it's so pertinent in helping us understand what place we're in because it's a process and we're all in different places in that process. So hopefully... Uh, and it's been my prayer that you would be able to glean something from this to be able to understand, ah, this is what God is doing with me right now. So, um, first of all, uh, the beginning of what God does in us, of course, starts with clay. Um, It's the starting point. It's the most important raw material in making useful and beautiful vessels, and it comes to us in various forms, in various types. The Bible says that we are like clay. Did you know, this is really cool, that when potters talk about different types of clay, they don't call it different types of clay. They call it different types of clay bodies. That took some getting used to. But isn't that interesting? That we are talking about a clay body, and that's exactly what we are. So clay comes in many different uh, types. Clay, first of all, is not pure. It's a mix of many components such as rust. Now, one would consider rust a weakness, but it's just this interesting and varied mixture that gives different types of clay their unique color, um, elasticity, strength, and heat tolerance. There are hundreds, probably thousands of different kinds of clay, and it's determined by the proportions of the varied components and how they settle together. Now, the same is true for you and me. Remember that we are also clay. I think that when we read a metaphor in scripture, God, just as we discover all the time through science, there's so much more depth, so much more to yet be understood from the world around us than we currently know. The same, I believe, is true in scripture. When God gives a metaphor, I believe that there's many, many further layers that can be explored that we don't miss, or that we miss at first glance. So clay is not pure, and there's many, many different kinds. And the same is true for us. We are also not pure. We're a unique blend of genetic components swirled about by childhood experiences, strengths and weaknesses that make us completely unique. And God loves that uniqueness. When I get clay, I go to the store and it comes packaged in 40-pound boxes, very heavy. Um, But serious potters actually get their own clay. They know which riverbank has stored up the minerals washed down from distant mountains, swirled about by the current just so that precisely the right-sized particles and combinations of minerals settle out there to form the kind of clay that the potter wants. God is a serious potter. He not only knows where to find good clay, he makes it himself. He knows our precise makeup all the genetic components, and how they were swirled about in our family and early life experiences, and even in our ancestry, to settle out into the precise raw material and clay body that each of us is when we come to know him. In Psalm 139, in verse 15 to 16, it says that, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, clay, your eyes saw my unformed body. And God knew where to find us, each one of us, when he came, and he came looking for us. And the Bible says, like a shepherd looking for his lost sheep, he came looking for us. Or like a potter looking for his special dig of clay. But getting the clay is just the beginning. When a potter buys clay, 
he doesn't just do it so he has one more box of clay sitting in his studio. He has a purpose in mind. He has a vision. He's going to make a vessel, something useful and beautiful, something that he can fill with good things and share with others. That's what fuels a potter. It certainly is what fuels me. So he decides what kind of vessel to make. He chooses his clay, and he uses, takes the right amount to make the vessel of his choosing. Now, I like to make mugs. That, that's my thing. And uh, you'll notice that some of my mugs are different colors of clay, and that's because the different colors of clay actually allow the glaze to come out differently. So this particular glaze, this blue glaze, looks phenomenal on red clay, and, uh, and this turquoise glaze looks way better on the gray clay, which turns cream color. So Potter knows the qualities uh, of the clay. There's also elasticity that's to be um, taken into consideration. I love making mugs. I think that mugs are very personal. They can be very creative. People love to have them. They're fun to hold, you know, cradle and have just the right kind of handle. Um, and I, so I have a real vision for what I want to make. When I, I know the right amount of clay that makes a big mug, because I like big mugs. And, uh, and so I know exactly how much clay to use, and so does God. And if I can have a vision for what I'm going to make and how to, how to select the clay for that and the glaze and everything, uh, you can bet that God has a vision too. In fact, in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Ephesians 11 says, In him we were also chosen, just like clay, having been predestined according to the plan of him. Because God plans. He's a planner. Who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God is incredibly purposeful. He doesn't waste a thing. So you think that those experiences and the background that you've got is something that God can't work with. That's not true. He actually uses it specifically to create the kind of vessel that he wants to make out of you with that exact combination of components that, uh, that he's put into your background. So when God puts his hands on us, we can be sure that it is for good. It is for a purpose. And he will carry it on to completion. He will see it through. Now, when I was just starting out with pottery, I would slam a piece of clay on the wheel, and I would just say, well, let's see what happens. God isn't like that. He doesn't just say, well, let's see what happens. He is purposeful. He is determined. He knows how to shape that clay. He knows how to press it into that center where it needs to be in order to be shaped properly. Now, Getting the clay is easy. It's kind of like salvation. Okay? It's, uh, it's fast. You make a decision. You receive Jesus, and bang, you're part of the family of God. Sanctification, however, is a process. It's a journey. It's the process of a child of God becoming Christ-like and fulfilling the purpose for which they were created. It begins with Jesus becoming the central fulcrum of our lives, around whom everything turns. And so this is kind of salvation. God sticks you on the wheel, okay? And that's just the very beginning. It begins with being stuck on the wheel. And this is where 
we move from being self-centered to being Christ-centered. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And this is where the pottery analogy really takes off, because the first and most critical step in successfully forming a vessel is what is called centering the clay. And I just love how potters put these words in there. And, you know, for us uh, Christians, we just recognize that there's such a double meaning to all of this. So we move from being self-centered to being Christ-centered. And before any forming can take place, this lump of clay has to be exactly in the middle of this wheel. Otherwise, it's not going to work out. I'm going to show you what I mean in just a second here. Only a perfectly centered lump of clay can have its walls pulled high and thin. Pulling is when you, when you move the clay upward. Okay? And voluminous without breaking. It only can take place if it's perfectly centered. In an uncentered vessel, the walls will be unevenly thick and will give way on one side when pulled beyond a certain height. This means that the vessel will not reach its desired height or volume it will collapse under the pressure. When this happens, the potter will have to start over. And I refer to you back to Jeremiah 12:4, where it says, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. What a powerful truth for our lives. There is safety in being completely surrendered and centered in Christ. When we fix our eyes firmly on him instead of ourselves and the whirling of circumstances around us, we remain balanced and firmly established. We're not centered. If we're not centered on Jesus, then that work can't be done. It's limited. When the pressures of life set in, we will begin to wobble and ultimately we buckle. So to center the clay... The potter first slams the clay hard on the bat, causing it to stick firmly. Then he turns the wheel on high. In Bible days, they would have a kick wheel, of course, but the heaviness of the wheel would create the momentum that is needed for this. Then he pours water on the clay. And this is like the living water of the Holy Spirit who enables us to endure with grace whatever comes our way. And then the potter applies pressure. Now, do you see how my hands are wobbling? This is the clay not centered. And if I just stay with it and just say, there, there, you're doing just great. Just keep trying to be centered. You can do it. It's not going to happen. Okay? I don't know if you can read this, but down here on my wheel, it says clay boss. Now, it's a little ambiguous. Does that mean that, you gotta be, that the clay is the boss or that you've got to be the, clay, the boss of the clay? Right? I, I like to think that it's, it's a struggle that you have to settle as a potter. Right? So this is never going to work. If I were to try to open this, you can see what's, what's going to happen. Right? That's what's going to happen. So centering is essential in successful pottery. So now I'm going to be the potter whose pot was marred in his hands. And I'm going to try again. I'm going to slam him down. And put water on. And this time I'm going to carry it to that full centering. 
So the potter applies pressure from the side, which has to be extremely steady and firm. It cannot give way. If it gives way, there is no centering. And he applies pressure from the top. If I don't apply pressure from the top, the same thing is going to happen. It's going to get away. And it will not be conformed to that initial uh, lump that is perfectly centered and smooth and allows the potter to do the next step. So there's pressure from the top and pressure from the side. The potter keeps applying the water, and it's super important. If you don't have the water, frequently what happens is students forget to put water on the clay, and all of a sudden the friction is too much, and then the clay goes flying off the wheel. Okay, so now you can probably see that my hands are staying steady. They're no longer wobbling, and now I gently remove my, the pressure. And now I can start. And the Holy Spirit is the same way. God allows circumstances from the side, you know, our life circumstances, difficult things that we are going through, to apply pressure that pushes us up into Him. And then He applies conviction of the Holy Spirit to uh, deal with sin that's obstructing His work in our lives. And then we become that centered lump of clay that he can really start to work on. But the centering is absolutely essential. Clay will not be coddled into conformity, and neither will we. Now, as the hands of the potter skillfully encompass a lump of clay and apply pressure from the side and pressure from above in order to shape it into a compact, smooth form, that's the beginning of the shaping of a vessel. He determines how big to make it at the base because he already knows what kind of a shape he ultimately wants to create. If it's a bowl, it's going to be much wider. Uh, if it's a vase, it's going to have lots of uh, clay, but it's going to go all into height. So there's all different kinds of ways that the potter determines what, kind, what size um, lump of clay he wants to have to start. Now, next begins the shaping of the vessel. The potter pierces the cone of clay, and begins to pull an opening to establish a starting point. And presses firmly down, almost to the bottom. And then he opens the vessel. Now, this is all pretty fast. Now, more water. And now the potter begins to pull the walls. Ah, pressure and stretching. This is important because without pressure and without stretching, there is no growth. There is no... Um, building of a, of a voluminous vessel. Okay? If I left it as I had it at first, it would just be a heavy lump of clay. It might work as a doorstop, but that's about it. But when the vessel is opened and centered and the pressure is applied and the forming and the pulling and the stretching it takes place, that's when volume is built into the vessel. 
the same is true for the growth of a new Christian. That initial growth is fast. Bible reading is exciting as you're hearing God speak. Prayer is easy. You might have prophetic words spoken over you and a sense of call and gifting. You start to really sense, this is, this is where God is taking me. I can see what kind of a vessel he wants me to become. And meanwhile, the potter continues to pull that wall, tall and thin, Now, it doesn't take very long, this part of the process. You can pull a mug in just a couple of minutes. But if I leave it at this, uh, it's actually very weak. You know, you can say, this is a beautiful mug. It's gonna, I can just see it. It's going to be so amazing. I'm going to drink my hot chocolate or coffee or whatever out of it. But the reality is that this is very weak. So if I was to take this off the off the wheel, obviously it wouldn't, uh, and try to use it, it wouldn't work. The shape is all there, but it's definitely not going to work. So there's some, a few more steps that are actually involved in making pottery. The potter's hands slide easily over the clay and move it upward in a graceful spiral when you're, when you're shaping that vessel on the on the wheel, and the walls keep being pulled higher and higher until the maximum volume is achieved and the walls are thin and, and delicate. But this is not uh, all that is to making a vessel. Finally, when the vessel is fully shaped, um, the potter actually has to take it off the wheel. I'm going to just quickly do one more. So you can see what the potter does with something that actually is a viable vessel. Pressure from the side and from the top for centering. Opening. Now, a lot of students, when they see that, hey, I can actually make a hole in my vessel just by doing this first step, they yank on it, and then the vessel falls apart because the pressure is too great. God knows exactly how much pressure to put on us to shape us rather than tear us apart.
it's a comfort to know. You know, when you see a really good potter, you don't realize how many things can go wrong. There's many things that can go wrong. If I uh, happen to make a mistake here and something goes wrong, just consider it an illustration of uh, the imperfect potter. <laughs> As that vessel takes shape, you can kind of guess at what it might become. You might think, oh, it's a, it's a cup. No, it's a mug. No, it's a vase. Wait, no. It's a jug. Now, at this point, the master potter cuts loose the vessel from the bat. This is called a bat, this piece that actually is sitting on top of the wheel. And then he puts it aside. And now begins actually a very tedious but extremely important part of the process, and that is drying time. Because at this point, the vessel obviously isn't strong. Now, before a vessel is truly prepared for its ultimate purpose, there's a few more steps involved. The first is hardening and drying. This should take place slowly or cracking will occur as the clay shrinks unevenly. The potter covers the vessels uh, with plastic for a little while or whatever I guess uh, they would have had available and then sets them aside. Now as they're being set aside, the vessel is drying slowly hopefully and the potter checks the vessel for cracks that might be appearing. I did these a couple of days ago. And, uh, and I put the handles on, I let it dry too fast, I put the handles on and they began to crack on the next day. So I took uh, some tools and I, I fixed the cracks that were beginning to emerge. So as a potter, I'm really closely watching this as it's drying because I don't want those, um, those um, vessels to begin to crack. So this is a super important part of the whole process, letting those vessels dry enough. If they don't dry thoroughly, then when they go into the kiln, they will very likely explode because the water vapor forces the clay apart and it causes an explosion. It's definitely happened in my kiln upstairs. Kiln, by the way, is the, the oven um, where it's finally baked. So a vessel goes on the shelf. I babysit the mugs. I'm in close contact. And this is so much like the master potter. You know, we feel in spiritual terms that uh, when we get put on the shelf to dry, that we have been put aside and that we're not useful. But this time is actually super important in our becoming the vessel who God wants us to become. Um, this is uh, the wilderness time that the potter gets, or that every Christian gets promoted to. It's when your walk with God seems to dry up. A season comes where the excitement of new growth as a Christian seems distant. We feel dry and abandoned and on the shelf. It feels as though all the hope and joy and passion of first knowing Jesus has dried up and vanished. We don't seem to hear him as clearly when we read our Bible. Prayer doesn't come as easy. We may struggle at work, or our finances are ebbing away, or maybe relationships are hard, or we're not moving in ministry like we had hoped. We may struggle with disappointment. David put it this way. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? 
What is going on, we ask. And he answers, this is a test. Will you still love me when feelings have ebbed? Will you still follow me? Will you still trust me even in the dry times? Will you still serve me when there is no applause from the crowd or seemingly no fruitful ministry? Knowing that the drying is the vital part of the pottery process, that process that makes us into who we are meant to be, helps us to persevere, to push through, and to not quit. But the drying shelf doesn't last forever. When the vessels are good and dry, the potter takes them off the shelf And he carefully examines it. And the vessels he knows are still very fragile at this point. In fact, I can go like this, and it's gone. Some of them, if I shook them hard enough, the handle would break off. Because they're not very strong yet. They're still fragile. So the potter puts them very carefully into the kiln. It's really dark in there. And then he closes the lid. And then he turns on the heat. And at first, when you get taken off the shelf, you think, yes, movement. Something is happening. Hallelujah. I'm ready for ministry. (laughs) And the potter does indeed take hold of you. And he does indeed move you into a cozy, warm place. (laughs) But it's um, a little different than we expect. Now, the potter isn't doing this to be cruel. He's doing this because he knows if I don't do this, then my vessel is not going to be strong. And if I put water into this, it actually will completely disintegrate. It will will become perfectly original clay again, and I can start all over with it. In fact, I recycle clay all the time. So this is not a finished product. Neither are we when we've been on the shelf for a while, when we've been shaped, and we look like a ready mug, but we're still not ready. And so God knows that. And so he puts us into the kiln. And that would be likening, likened to the fiery trial. It doesn't sound very fun. But it's absolutely essential because without it, we'll never be strong enough or to be useful. Strong enough to be useful. So in the fire, in the first firing, it's called a bisque firing. The clay vessels are transformed. The heat burns up all the organic matter in the clay and fuses the minerals together so that they will never dissolve or fall apart again when placed in water. The vessels are much more compact. In fact, they shrink when they get fired the first time, and they become lighter. So excess weight, organic matter, is gone. They are much stronger. Essentially, they have been transformed into a porous, igneous rock. Now, I don't have any fired mugs, but uh, I have these little containers, and you can tell they sound different, okay? and they're much stronger. So this is the result of the fire. The second firing is when the waterproofing happens. Glaze is poured over the vessel, and it is put into the fire again, but this time it emerges glorious. It is glass-covered and shiny and multicolored. And I love opening a kiln when I've done a glaze firing because it's like Christmas. Every vessel emerges so beautiful, and each is unique, even when dipped in the same glaze. Now, this vessel is strong. It can be put through any fire and not be damaged in the slightest. 
Many people ask me if my pottery can be put in the dishwasher or in the oven. Heaven forbid. I tell them this piece has been through 2,200 degrees. It can handle a measly 500 degrees in your in your oven. Now, all of us, and this vessel holds whatever you put in it. Okay, it's strong. It will not leak. It will not seep. It will not crumble. All of us. Have undergone fires. Either we've had a fiery trial in the past, or we're in one right now, or we will certainly undergo one in the future. No one is exempt. In John 16:33, Jesus says, "In this world you will have trouble, but take heart; I have overcome the world." And this is what the fire does: it makes you an overcomer. The fire is important. Without the fire, the vessel stays fragile. It looks like a useful vessel. But it can't really be used. It's fragile. It can't hold anything, can't carry anything, or pour anything. It cannot be handled, or it will break. The fire is what makes this vessel strong. It takes out the organic matter in our life, the fleshly part that makes us so weak and vulnerable. It makes us strong and spiritually beautiful and spiritually dangerous. It makes you when you come through the fire. That's what makes you into the kind of person that, when your feet hit the ground in the morning, the devil goes, "Oh no, they're up." <laughs> the apostles had a good sense of the importance of these times of testing, fiery testing. James one says, "Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work. You want to get to this point." Church, because this is useless. It looks pretty, but it's useless. Perseverance must finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James says, "Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial." Peter says, "These trials have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, may be proved genuine." And Paul says, he sums it all up. But when, but we have this treasure, which is the knowledge of God, in jars of clay, this relationship with God, this power of God in us, we have it in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed; perplexed, but not in despair; persecuted, but not abandoned; struck down, but not destroyed. The strength within us will always be greater than the pressure outside us. This is good news for the Christian. Freedom from fear does not come from never facing a trial, but rather from going through a trial and coming out unharmed. Isaiah forty-three says, "This is God speaking. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze." And it's because you've been fireproofed. Second Corinthians four seventeen, Paul says, "For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all." Church, I want to conclude with this. God is a Potter, and He is passionately committed to you as His prize vessel. He knows what your raw material is. The riverbed from which you came, 
from which he personally dug you out with all its rocks and flaws. He has a vision for you and a plan for the vessel he wants you to be, and he knows how to carry it out. Stay on the wheel. Stay centered in him. Submit to the shaping pressure and allow him to do his work in you. If you're on the shelf, be patient. You need this time to persevere in your faith. And if you're in the fire, know that this also is essential. You've been promoted. You're well on your way to having the shape of who he's made you solidified and forever made strong. Hang in there and know that he is with you in the fire. You are not alone, and it will not last forever. The fire is meticulously timed and will not be more than he in you can't handle. It will not be longer than needed to finish the work that will make you perfect. God is a finisher. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And the result will be glorious.